Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to go there in a second, but... Um, I'm going to give you uh, one minute. We haven't done this in a little while, but I'm going to give you one minute and talk amongst yourself about your favorite commercial. Your favorite TV or radio commercial. Go. There's some, uh, some good discussion going on, man. Uh, you know what? I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it myself. Um, probably one of my favorite commercials, even though I'm not into commercials, was there was an old Shoppers Drug Mart commercial with a guy that was kind of balding, and he was opening up gifts, and one of them was a hair dryer. Did anybody ever see that one? Like, you know what I mean? Like, anyway, some really, you know, commercials are great, and I'm not a huge uh, commercial uh, person. It was just kind of funny because Rebecca goes, "What's a commercial?" said a millennial. But anyways, uh, you know, like it's that little box in the bottom of your screen on the internet that you go X because you don't want to watch it, right? Um, but it's so true, you know, commercials meant, are, are meant to bring to life a product or to grab you, to draw you in. And I remember a few years ago watching a commercial from Excedrin, uh, and it's a medication that is used, or they had done a, a, a created a medication that was good for migraines. Now, anybody that's ever had migraines, I thankfully have not. Uh, I've had bad headaches, but bad headaches are like, they pale in comparison to a description of migraines, because anybody that has migraines knows that it's really intense uh, pain. And so the commercial kind of goes where this mother kind of passes off her daughter's migraines as, oh, no big deal. You know, it doesn't really hurt that much. And so next thing you know, the, the commercial shifts to mom being in this place where they put uh, these special goggles that they have made so that the mom can experience uh, visually what the daughter's experiencing the way of migraines, and all of a sudden, you know, mom's uh, attitude completely switched gears because now she's experiencing for herself what she's had described to her, and even though in her mind it's like, well, I'm, I'm sure you're in pain, but it's not that bad, but the moment that she puts on the goggles, all of a sudden she realizes, wow, I, I didn't realize, and all of a sudden, this, this, this under, her understanding began to grow and get uh, deeper. There's something about experiencing something that shifts us from wondering to a, a real understanding, meaning I can really relate. I get it now. In fact, there was an old uh, uh, idiom that used to be used, uh, seeing is believing. How many, how many know that old phrase, right? Seeing is believing. It's this idea that I'll believe you when I have concrete physical evidence for myself, meaning I've got to experience it for myself in order for me to really understand it, to grasp it so that I can relate to it. And, and the journey of faith is really one that is meant to be experienced. In fact, Andy Stanley uh, and Leonard Sweet, I, I, I remember a season where I, I happened to be reading some articles or books uh, by those two authors, and they both said the exact same thing, that Jesus understood this better than anybody because Jesus and his ministry is really can be summed up into a come and see, this invitation, come and see kind of approach to ministry. Jesus didn't just speak it, but he invited you. And so if you notice that there were a lot of times that Jesus was asked questions, but 
but Jesus never, you know, didn't always give a straight answer. Sometimes Jesus would tell a parable, or sometimes he would show you before he would tell you what he's thinking. The, the talking came after them experiencing because he understood there's something about the experience that helps you and I to grasp things or to own things that much more. I mean, think about it. John the Baptist, uh, in Luke chapter 7, I believe, uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and uh, he is sending his disciples to find Jesus. Now, remember, at this point, you know, he's already met Jesus. He has already, you know, when Jesus was baptized, he already recognized him as the Messiah. But there was a point in John the Baptist in his ministry where he struggled a little bit, and he had, a, I would say, a little bit, I think it's fair to say he had a little bit of a doubt. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus while he was doing ministry, and, they, and he said, ask Jesus if he is the one, or should we expect, expect another? And so Jesus didn't give them an answer. He didn't just say, yes, I'm the one. What did Jesus do? He said, I want you to go back to John the Baptist, and I want you to tell him what you see and hear. Like, look around, watch what I'm doing, and then go back and tell John the Baptist. Same thing with uh, Thomas. After the resurrection, it was, it was Thomas in John chapter 20 who really struggled a little bit. And we, we all know him as doubting Thomas because, you know, he still wasn't convinced even though Jesus is standing right in front of them. And, and he's like, Jesus, I need to see, you know, the scars on your hands. I need, I, need to, I need to see it. I have to know that you are who you are, you, that you have actually resurrected. I've got to know. And, and so, of course, Jesus reveals it to him. But if you notice in John chapter 20, uh, verse 29, I believe, and it would be up on your screen, he says to Thomas after this, he said, because you have seen me, it's because you have seen me, Thomas, that you believe me. But he goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen me and still believe. Like what Jesus was saying is, listen, it's easy for you, Thomas, to figure this out because, you know, you, you get it. You understand it. You, you know, you're looking at me. You watch me do miracles. So, man, that's easy. You, you had firsthand evidence, but there will come decades. There will come centuries of, of believers that will not have the privilege of physically walking with me or physically seeing me. And, man, blessed are those. Because, man, for them to believe, that takes a lot of faith. Because the physical Jesus is, is not there. And so they are, they are basing it on initially the information that's coming from other generations. And, and in our case, the scriptures. And, 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 and then it's the encounter that kind of seals the deal. And, and what's, what's awesome and amazing is that even though it's true that Jesus, uh, his ministry was basically come and see he still throws out this invitation. The only difference is, is that he's passed the baton onto you and I. And if we're going to be disciple makers, we have to get to a place like Jesus where we are letting people in. And not, it's not so much that we're telling them. It's about living the life. It's about, it's about Jesus being experienced through your life, through your actions, through your attitudes. And that's the way they get to still see him. I mean, look at... Look at um, uh, look at Matthew chapter 5 for a second and listen to what Jesus says because I believe that God's call on our lives is for us to illuminate him. Meaning we reveal what, what can be in the way of wholeness or the journey. What God does in the way of restoration from you know, sin and brokenness and, 
and, and just understanding and coming into a revelation of who he is. We, we are the ones that declare what is in the way of the truth in our lives, not just the spoken word. And, and we, we point to where you illuminate who makes that all possible. We, our lives continue to reflect and point back to Jesus as the one. And in Matthew chapter 5, that's exactly what he wanted. Verse 14 to 16, he says this, you are the light of the world. You're this town that's been built on a, on a hill that cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a, a lamp and put it under a bowl. Like he's like, he makes this rhetorical statement. He goes, you don't light something and put it under a bowl. That makes no sense. He said, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he said, let your light shine. Meaning, let your life reveal. Let your attitude, let your actions, let your thinking, let the way that you live your life, do your job, uh, run your business, uh, how you, you know, invest in your marriage, how you treat your children, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat your, you know, again, you know, your enemy. And, and, and again, we go back to what Jesus said to the disciples at the very end of Matthew. He said, listen, I want you to go, and as you go, make disciples. This is, this is how we make disciples. We let our light shine or our good deeds, as some uh, versions would say this, before others so that they may glorify the Father. That they might begin to give praise like, and begin to see and begin to look upon God. But man, seeing is believing. I've always thought this, man. It, your actions, my actions are far more powerful than anything that you and I might say. Because our actions and our attitudes actually back up what we say. It's actually the evidence or the very authority or the weight that comes behind what we say. Because you know what it's like, the old saying, right? Like, people that walk the walk, right? That's, that's good. But a lot of people just talk the walk, right? They just, they just talk about it. But walking it, living it out, man, it makes a big difference. I, I love how the message puts this passage. It says this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out all the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. Let them in. And by doing so, you'll prompt people to open up with God the generous Father in heaven. Discipleship is about letting people in and illuminating and displaying all of the facets of who God is. I, I love the way the message puts this, right? The God colors of the world. I, I had to look it up for, you know, anybody who's got kids knows how many crayons you've picked up, broken crayons. You know, I, I remember a kid at Maple View taught uh, Abby how to break crayons for the longest time. We'd go to restaurants and she'd take crayons and just break them. I'm like, dude, what? Like everywhere we go, you know, and and so, you know, but but, I, you know, you've seen a ton of different colors. You know, you get a you know, you go to Toys R Us and you get that pack of 64. You know, do you know that actually the average standard vision can see up to a million colors? That there's actually recorded 10 million, according to the Smithsonian, 10 million registered colors in the world. Now, can you imagine your wife saying, hey, let's pick out a pink color with 10 million in front of you? 
every hue, every, and it's so different, right? Every little shade. You know, I, I don't know about anybody else. I'm your basic black, white, gray, green, you know, but then you get into apple green and, you know, all those kind of funny colors, you know, and dusty rose, you know. How many, how many went through the dusty rose phase in your house, right? Yeah, yeah. When we got married, it was hunter green, right? Yeah, that didn't last long. I can tell you right now, man, that was gone, you know. If you have hunter green, I don't mean to offend you, just saying, but. And I sat back in my chair and I thought, man, God, you designed 10 million known colors. Known. You created the universe and all of its, of its detail. How much more are the different facets of who you are? And we're called to display those colors. That God sees or that people see God in the different ways through your life. You know, to be the light that Jesus is talking about is to illuminate all the different facets of his character, his ability, you know, his, his, his uh, teachings, and, and, and just through the experience. And, and sometimes, and I mentioned it last week, about sometimes when it comes to our, you know, our trials and the things that we, we go through. And sometimes we wonder why God allows us to go through things or, hey, God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and, and this hasn't changed. And, and I shared the story about a friend of ours that, that through his chemo treatment was using it as an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And couldn't wait to get to, you know, chemo. And I'm, I'm thinking he's nuts. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And he's like, listen, I'm still praying for, you know, healing. But at the end of the day... This is where I'm at right now, and this is the opportunity, and I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to display the different colors of God today. I'm going to show that I have confidence in this moment that God is still going to be faithful. I'm going to, I'm going to show the love of God. I'm going to show that, that I can still have joy in the midst of suffering. I mean, that's, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. Just like there are 10 million different colors that are known. There are so many facets of God. Light is about revealing God. That's what light's meant to do. Light's also meant to expose things, uh, to help people see things. And I think our lives are meant to, to, to expose the lies of the enemy or the enemy's ability to blind people from, from seeing God or knowing the truth of God. We live in a culture where there is so much in the way of opportunity, especially with, especially with social media and access to, to get information. And there's so many different ways of looking at life. And, and yet some of those things, not all of those things, but some of those things are complete lies of the enemy that literally held people back from knowing God. And because of that, they don't know a true hope. They might know a sense of hope or a little bit of hope or they might even find themselves in a place where they think they have hope. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I was thinking about how uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus actually said that he was the light of the world. And yet in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you're the light. And at first I thought it was kind of confusing, but, but it's really not because his life deposited in yours. Now all of a sudden, it's, that's what generates the light inside of us. That's what, that's what causes us to be, you know, illuminate because God's transforming our lives. And, and we grow in this relationship with him. We understand him. But what's interesting about that passage to me is that 
that Jesus said, listen, I am the light of the world and whoever believes in me, they will never walk in darkness. You know, there's a message that needs to be sent, but the unfortunate part is that a lot of times the message that's sent from the church is that people are living in darkness. And the first thing they think of, or even us in the church, we think darkness, we think evil, we think moral decay. But have you ever thought that maybe what Jesus was also referring to is the fact that people are just in the dark? It's not just that they're living, you know, evil lives or that they're, you know, out there sinning, you know, Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They're like, oh, God, I hope I don't have a week like I had this last week. You know, we, we have this process that we think everything is evil. But sometimes the darkness that surrounds them is not that they're walking in evil. It's not that they're walking in moral decay, but they're living good lives. They're good people. They're not doing anything wrong. But the problem is they're still in the dark. If you're not in the light, you're in the dark. If I turn off all the lights inside of this room, if we, we made sure that every window was covered and sealed, all of us, man, would be bumping over the places, and we'd be knocking things over and hitting people and all this kind of stuff just because we couldn't see anything around us. Sometimes we just don't realize that part of the, part of the journey of faith, especially in a North American culture, you've heard me say this, especially in a North American culture, where, where, man, people have lived lives and they, and, and they think they're doing good and they're helping this charity, and they are. But they're in the dark because the enemy has blinded them, whether through confusion or, you know, for the Romans, you know, they, they thought the cross was, in fact, the scripture says that the cross was a stumbling block to the Romans. They just thought, this is dumb. How many of you heard your friends say religion is, is just for old people or women or, you know, the, and, and I, I've heard it all. Don't be offended if you're older. What I mean by that is anybody 99 or older, just throwing it out there, you know, so. I've read, I've read people, I've read things on, on, you know, in the way of quotes where people have described religion as something for the naive. It just doesn't make any sense. It's because they sit in darkness. And the enemy has just clouded their ability to see the hope that they really have. Or need, I should say. And the Jesus that they need. And the Savior that they need. And in a comfortable environment like North America, for the most part. Not everybody, but most people. Sometimes when we, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again, sometimes... When we don't have physical need, we're not necessarily in tune to the spiritual need either. We're just doing life. And yet at the end of the day, they need Jesus just as much as I do. Every single person. It's not just about darkness. It's about being in the dark. And that's why, that's why Jesus would invite people now. When he used to invite people, when they would come to him, he, they would, he would say, come in and see. But what, what God is doing now, what Jesus is doing now is that he's now putting you in that position and he's inviting your neighbors, he's inviting your coworkers, he's inviting your family. 
You know, maybe you come from a family that doesn't know the Lord, and you're the first one in your family. And, and the Lord says, listen, I want you to come and see, because Jesus still believes, still understands the power of experiencing something. It, that, that never changes. And so instead of saying, come and see me, what he says is, come and see me, but I want you to come and see me through Tim. I, I, come, and, come and see what I've done in, in Terry's life. And, and that's, that's when you say amen right, right there, Nancy. Like, just, yeah, oh, man, thank you, Lord. Yeah, shout it out. Come on. Right? Man, come and see how Terry is dealing with struggle. Right? Come, come and see me through Joanna. Come and see how, you know, in, in, in the midst of, you know, praying for a, this person, never gave up. Just never gives up. Man, man, look at the transformation in, in Cliff and Marcia. Like, look at the tra- look what I did. You know, Chris, you've shared some of your story with me of how you came to Jesus and 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 the change and, and whatever's happened over the last number of years. There's so many different things. And God says, I now want people to come and see me because Jesus is not here in the flesh, but he does appear through your life. And as you live your life, as you act, as you as you speak, as you have conversation. You know, as you, in front of your children, as you worship, as you pray, as you spend time in the Word of God, you're modeling something. And part of what you're modeling is people are getting a chance to experience Jesus. And if it's true, and I do believe this, that seeing is believing, that through your life, they're experiencing something. And now, all of a sudden, the things that the Scripture talks about that's being done inside your life, all of a sudden, there's this disconnect begins to disappear. And all of a sudden, that's when the questions start coming. That's when they start saying those, you know, those phrases that many of us have heard and said, man, there's just something different about you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why don't you do this? Why, why is it that you refrain from that? Or why is it that you go to church every Sunday morning when you could be slipping, staying in your bed and sleeping and just in that, you know, spending time in, in the com- with the comforter? And what I mean by the comforter, in underneath your blankets, nice and warm, and you're just chilling. But yet every Sunday morning you're at a church service. Why? Why? There's nothing better than the question why. Because when someone's asking why, they're trying to figure something out. When they're asking why, no matter what the why is for, they're trying to figure something out. I remember a few years ago walking through something with uh, uh, Sydney. And um, she didn't like one of the, the rules that uh, mom had laid down, right, you know? And uh, most dads just go with what mom says, right? We're just, no, she said it, man, just, she's the boss, you know? And, and, uh, and Sydney kept questioning, and Cora goes, listen, stop questioning me. I just said it, and that's it, right? I'm your mom. I, I just don't want you doing this anymore. And we get in the car, and I take Sydney to school, and she's like, dad, I don't understand it don't get why. And I said, well, listen, first of all, you got to walk it through. This is what your mom asked, and we got to walk in obedience. But I said, I do think that later on you need to have a conversation with mom, because I think you do need to understand it. Mom's got a good reason for it, and I want you to understand that. So I went home after dropping Sydney off, and of course, like, like most parents, you don't have this conversation in front of your children, because that's just leverage for somebody, you know? Got to have a united front, man. Like just, yeah, man, like a blockade, man. Nobody's getting through this thing, man, right? And so I get home, and I, and I, I chuckled, and I said, Cora, she is 
so bugged right now. And she goes, I don't care. Like, that's the rule. I go, I know, I get it. But here's the thing. you got to explain to her why. Help her understand this. Regardless of whether she ever agrees with it, doesn't matter. Help her understand. And so when she came home, Cora did. She sat down with her and just said, here's the reason. Here are my reasons why. And that made all the difference in the world. It also created an environment where our kids felt comfortable, and they still feel comfortable asking the question why, but not in a, not in a, I'm against you because you're an authority kind of a way. It's not rebellion. It's just, help me understand this. And it's led to some crazy and amazing conversations with our kids. Questions like why are good. So let me, let me uh, end with this, and I'll ask Hillary to come back here. Um, so Jesus says, hey, don't hide. Be like the city. You know, a lot of people believe that Jesus at this point was referring to a city called Safed. If I said it right. It's actually a very popular destination still today for a lot of tourists. It sits about 2,500 uh, feet above sea level. And so when Jesus was teaching, the, or, or, or well, it was, it was, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, basically he's, the Beatitudes and all that kind of stuff, and he begins to refer to the city. And it must have been somewhere that was close because you can see it. And here's the city sitting on the top of the hill. And one of the things that the city was known for was um, it was built with limestone, probably like a lot of buildings. But because of its position, during the day, the sun would shine on it and it would sparkle. And at night, of course, because of the elevation... You know, when they would light their lampstands at night, you can see it from a distance no matter where you're traveling from. So Jesus says, hey, I've called you to be the light, like a city on a hill. That no matter where someone's traveling from, they'll be able to find their way. See, it's not that you are the destination, but you light up where the destination is. No matter who you are, the destination is Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's repenting, receiving forgiveness, and following Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's that simple. And yet, it can be so complicated. Because we don't like to give over control. And yet, submission to God is the most rewarding and the most fulfilling thing that we could ever experience. Not just because of its eternal benefits, heaven, but in the here and now. And so there's this destination. And, and I don't know about you, if you've ever been lost or you have been trying to find your way somewhere and you're in need of something and you got to get there and and, and it, there's nothing worse. I remember years ago, we were in Newfoundland, uh, on, sorry, on our way to Newfoundland, and I don't know if anybody's ever seen the Seinfeld episode where Kramer decides to get into a car with uh, some salesmen and, and uh, the gas, they got the gas light down to E, and they were going to fill it up and uh, keep driving, but then Kramer had this bright idea, let's do it. Let's see how far we can go. 
You know, and like he had this idea that he's going to go where no man has ever gone. Going past the E. You know, Kramer's whole deal. Have you ever seen Kramer, Seinfeld? In fact, I, I didn't watch Seinfeld until it was off the air. And then I watched it. I was like, oh, man, I should have watched this. It's so funny. And the salesman gets all excited. He's like, yeah, man, it's, live. it's like we're living on the edge. Well, I had a Kramer moment. Like most husbands, we always see how far can we go before we actually have to fill up the gas tank. And we're on our way to Newfoundland, and we're in like, I don't know, somewhere in Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, somewhere in there. And if you ever traveled in there, it's not like, it's not like the GTA where every five minutes there's a gas station. It's like hours, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And so we're, we're making our way, and uh, we're trying to get to a certain point uh, to the hotel because in order to make the ferry the next day, you know, out of North Sydney, we, we got to get to this point in Edmonston. That's where we need to get to. And uh, Cora's like, should we stop for gas? I'm like, no, no, we'll hit the next one. Wow. Dory, Cora. And she is just going, Craig, come on, seriously, don't do this. We got the kids, you know, and like we had it stranded in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's all good. And I'm thinking, for some reason, I'm just thinking the gas station is just over that hill. It's just over that hill. It's just over that hill. Famous last words. And then I hit that moment, and I'm like, and I'm not, of course, you know, you never admit this to your spouse ever, right? Like, to her, I'm like, no, don't worry, man, just around the corner. Inside, I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, I just pray right now. I don't care if you got to create a city and just drop it down right now. Because you can do that, God. You can do that. You created the universe. I think you can create a city. Just a gas station. I don't even care if it's a good gas station. Just give me some gas. And, uh, and I, I started to sweat it. And then all of a sudden, I saw the glow over the hill and I went oh thank you Lord and we got there and we pulled in and of course I got you know I got the mom look and I was spoken to you will not do that again I don't care and I'm not explaining why you know that kind of thing <laughs> What a relief that when in need, I got to where I needed to go. But what gave me hope was the light that I saw. Your life, my life, is like a city on a hill. And whether by day or night, in the midst of the good, in the midst of the darkness or in the dark that some people are in. The truth of the matter is we shine. When we think that people aren't even looking, we need to shine. Because it's how Jesus reveals himself today. In the same way that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Through your life, he's using you to be the light so that people that are in the dark and living in darkness doesn't have to 
because that was never his desire from the very beginning. You know, Leonard Sweet said this, and I'm going to have you, in fact, why don't you stand with me right now? Leonard Sweet's a great author, by the way. And he said this, the story of a follower's life is not about him or her at all. But what the risen Lord has done and is doing. At the end of our lives, our story is really his story. So would you do me a favor, uh, just in the next few moments, would you just take, just, just take a few moments right now. Would you just close your eyes and just say, Jesus, would you help me to shine? Holy Spirit, would you help me to not hide my faith? I don't need to be a bully with my faith. I don't need to be aggressive with my faith. I just need to live my faith out. I just need to, I just need to live it out. And so, Holy Spirit, give me the courage. Give me the strength. That, that I don't want to worry about what somebody thinks because I realize that maybe today I'm revealing a color. Maybe today I'm, I'm pointing to the destination that they need to get to, and they just don't know it. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca.